Trinity Central. We exist to make God central to our lives and our world. You are listening to a recording of one of our Sunday messages. For more information, please go to trinitycentral.org. Amen. Amen. There was a, a, a man by the name of William Nibb. He was a Baptist minister who moved to Jamaica in the 1800s. He was born in 1803. And um, he was very involved in the abolitionist movement uh, in, in bringing through the emancipation of slaves uh, in Jamaica. And on July the 31st, 1838, after years of battling with this issue of slavery... Uh, July the 31st, William Nibb gathered around 10,000 slaves on the island of Jamaica, and they held a, they held a, a church meeting, a praise celebration. Uh, it was the day that they were being emancipated legally. And um, what they did was they created an immense coffin, and into that coffin, they, they placed whips and branding irons and handcuffs and fetters, their slave garments, all of the paraphernalia of bondage that they had been in over the years, over the decades, they placed into this coffin. And um, at midnight, on the first stroke of the midnight bell, William Nibb shouted, The monster is dying! And at the twelfth stroke, he shouted, the monster is dead. Let's bury him. And literally, they took this massive coffin and they dropped it into a 12-foot grave and they covered it up and they buried it in the ceremonial statement of, we are free at last. And they, they made a a sign, and they put this sign up over, the, uh, over this coffin, and the, the sign said, Colonial slavery died July 1838, age 276 years. Amazing, amazing story, amazing expression, actually, of the gospel. But, but even at the, uh, the, the outward bonds of slavery being... Uh, being emancipated, being taken off people. But the gospel talks not just about external slavery uh, and God setting us free from external slavery. It talks about internal slavery that we get free from. And Paul, when he writes to uh, the church in Corinth, uh, now in modern-day Turkey, uh, he's overseeing this church. He'd planted this church and he writes and he says, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. The Lord is the Spirit, 
and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. This is the message of the gospel. Where the Lord is, there is freedom. If the Lord resides within us, if we are in Christ, if we have come to a saving uh, knowledge of Jesus Christ, then our lives have been set free from the monster. We are out of his clutch. We are out of his grip. The monster of sin, of our past, of the expectations and demands of our culture on us, of maybe even our family on us, all the things that come at us from the outside that seek to define us and to shape us, we are free from every single one of those. Hallelujah. That's what the gospel is. That's what the gospel is for us. And and not only that, but Paul says, uh, as, as this is happening, Uh, that we come into freedom, something remarkable is occurring in this process. We come into freedom in Christ. We come into Christ. Actually, this is the way that Paul tends to describe Christians more than any other uh, phrase. He uses this word, in Christ. You are in Christ. What is that? When we talk about being Christians, he's not talking simply about a system of beliefs that we have. He's saying you are literally in Christ. You have been taken out of what you were and you've been placed into Christ. That's how Paul describes it. And he says when this freedom happens, what does it look like? What's happening in us? He says our faces are unveiled, meaning there is no barrier or filter between us and God any longer. We begin to see Jesus, we begin to see God as he is And he welcomes us to see him. He sees us fully as we are. And then Paul says, I'll just read it to you again. And we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are transformed. Beholding the glory of the Lord. As we behold him, as we look intently at Christ, as day by day we seek after him, we follow him, we find that there is a work of the Holy Spirit going on in our hearts which changes us, changes us from the inside out. The Holy Spirit takes us, and and, and Paul says, literally from one degree of glory to the next. God is doing a work inside us. It's not being accomplished by external means. It's being accomplished by the work of the Holy Spirit in our hearts. He is bringing us from one degree of glory to the next so that we are becoming conformed to the image of Christ. It is an incredible work of the Holy Spirit in you and in me. That's what it means to be in Christ. It means we've come into freedom and the Holy Spirit himself is working in us. God is sovereignly doing this. But this truth, this gospel truth that when we we recognize our sinfulness, when we recognize that we've got no hope, uh, some of the things we've been singing about, some of the things that Dan has led us in praying about, when we recognize that and we recognize that Jesus Christ is our only hope and we then put our trust in Jesus, we begin to come into this process of God utterly changing our lives. And we talk about three words. And if you're part of this church family, you will have heard us talk about this often. 
three ways of describing salvation, or three elements, you could say, of salvation. Justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification is the moment I put my trust in Jesus. In that moment, God credits all of the righteousness of Christ to me, and He credits all of my sin and my shame to Jesus. And in that moment, I am free. Uh, in that moment, I come into all that God has got for me. I have my, the inheritance of Christ belongs to me from that point onwards. Justification. And then sanctification is, is this process by which I am being saved. I, in justification, I am saved. In sanctification, the Holy Spirit now begins to work out the Christ in me. I begin to become like Jesus. I am being saved. I am saved, justification. I'm being saved, sanctification, glorification. I will be saved. In the end, there'll be this moment where the, the age is wrapped up and God brings us into the fullness of everything that he has for us. A, a, a time when there will be no sin, no sickness, no suffering, joy. Everything will be complete in that moment. Our salvation will be full. Hallelujah. Justification, sanctification, Glorification. This is how we understand salvation as God gives it to us. But it's interesting that all the way through the, the, the past 2,000 years, wherever the gospel is preached and people come to faith in Jesus, very quickly after that comes an, a pressure or a, 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 there is a contest that begins to arise around the imposition of law or an external framework upon our lives by which we will be saved, okay? The gospel says you're saved wholly through Christ, through what He's done, and the work of that salvation in you is by the Holy Spirit. But wherever the gospel is preached, we also find a message subtly creeping in that actually now you need to begin to obey the law. You need to not simply trust the Holy Spirit. You need to do something more. You need an external framework, a, a structure that you can look at, that you impose on your life, and that is how you become more Christ-like. And if we consider the passage that we're coming to in the book of Acts, what we find is, is this battle is hot right now. So Dan, last week, did a magnificent job of unpacking the story. And so I'm just going to very briefly give you a little bit of context, and then we're going to get into the meat of what this is. So, but if you haven't listened to Dan's message, I highly recommend that you go and do that. Uh, it was outstanding. Really great job. Thank you for serving us so well last week, Dan. So Paul and Barnabas, uh, these two leaders in the church, have been preaching and planting churches throughout uh, modern-day Turkey, the, the, the Roman province of Galatia, and they've now returned to their home church in Antioch um, uh, in Syria. And in Antioch and Galatia, the message that they've been preaching has been very simple. Put your, put your trust in the Lord Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. Jesus Christ has paid the penalty for you on the cross. And if you put your trust in him, you can enter into his life. And in his life, if you follow him, if you, as, you, as you begin to seek after him, you'll find he changes you from the inside 
out. Very simple message. But, and, and Paul and Barnabas have not said to the church, you now need to take on our customs. You need to now take on our culture. Bearing in mind that both of these men were Jewish men, you could quite imagine, quite easily imagine them coming along and saying, okay, great, now that you've got Jesus, now we'll tell you how, what the law says how to live. They didn't do that. So they come back to Antioch, and a group of guys have come up to Antioch from the church in Jerusalem, and they are preaching, you must be circumcised. It's great that you found our Messiah, but actually you need to be circumcised. You need to, you need to begin to come into our, Judea, uh, our Judaic thinking. You need to come and essentially become Jews in order to embrace our Messiah. And so uh, what essentially they're saying is, it's Jesus plus the law. It's Jesus plus Moses. You have to add something to Jesus if you really want to walk for God, before God. And so uh, a hot debate breaks out in, in, uh, in Antioch. And eventually Paul and Barnabas say to these Judaizers, let's go down to Jerusalem. We will sit with the apostles and the elders there and we will talk through and, and see what they would say. And so they make the journey down to Jerusalem. They sit together. The debate is hot. Uh, and uh, the, they put to, to the, the council, the Judaizers put to the council, you, the Gentiles must be circumcised and the Gentiles must begin to follow the law of Moses. And Peter gets up and says, hey guys, we saw the Holy, I saw the Holy Spirit fall on Gentiles at Cornelius' house. And Paul and Barnabas then get up and say, this is what's been happening. We've seen God uh, saving Gentiles wherever we've gone. And then James gets up and says, you know, I think we need to be really careful here. And we need to, uh, th there are some things that would be helpful for us to talk with the churches about, but we need to not lay an additional burden on them. And so at the end of this council, we arrive at our passage for today. Let's just read it together, and then I want to just unpack some stuff from this. Acts 15, verse 22. Then it seemed good to the apostles and the elders and the whole church to choose men from among them and send them to Antioch with Paul and Barnabas. So they sent an envoy, basically, so that when Barnabas and Paul came, as they'd been sort of one half of the argument, there were others from Jerusalem to come and represent, uh, actually, we stand with Barnabas and Paul in what they're saying. They sent Judas, called Barsabbas, and Silas, leading men among the brothers in Jerusalem, with the following letter. The brothers, both the apostles and the elders, to the brothers who are of the Gentiles in Antioch and Syria and Cilicia, Greetings. Since we've heard that some persons have gone out from us and troubled you with words, unsettling your minds, although we gave them no instructions, it has seemed good to us, having come to one accord, to choose men and send them to you with our beloved Barnabas and Paul, men who've risked their lives for the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. We have therefore sent Judas and Silas who themselves will tell you the same things by word of mouth. For it seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us. Notice how even in, in their understanding, of their, their, their deliberations, they see the Holy Spirit as presiding over this. 
It seemed good to the Holy Spirit and to us to lay on you no greater burden than these requirements, that you abstain from, that has, uh, from what has been sacrificed to idols, and from blood, and from what has been strangled, and from sexual immorality. If you keep these, yourselves from these, you will do well. Farewell. So they set off. They went down to Antioch. And having gathered the congregation together, they delivered the letter. And when they had read it, they rejoiced because of its encouragement. And Judas and Silas, who were themselves prophets, encouraged and strengthened the brothers with many words. And after they'd spent some time, they were sent off in peace by the brothers to those who had sent them. But Barnabas and Paul remained in Antioch, teaching and preaching the word of the Lord with many others also. So I want to ask three questions. What's at stake? How do we live in true freedom? And then, so why the three requirements? What's at stake? How do we live in true freedom? Why the three requirements? So let's just start by asking this question, what's at stake? What's at stake here? See, there's a battle going on for the purity of the gospel in this moment. And today, you and I are beneficiaries of the firm stand that Paul and Barnabas took. So this matters massively for what we now believe, what we have received uh, from God and what we now believe. Now, Paul writes to the Galatians later on over the same issue where Judaizers had come in among the churches that Paul and Barnabas had planted, and, and they're now saying, hey, you need to follow the law of Moses. You need to, and, and Paul writes this. He says, yet because of false brothers secretly brought in who slipped in to spy out our freedom that we have in Christ Jesus so that they might bring us into slavery to them, we did not yield in submission even for a moment, so that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. So that the truth of the gospel might be preserved for you. That's the stake. That's what's at stake here. Salvation through faith in Jesus alone is what's at stake. Now, that, that may seem academic when we, when we read it sort of historically? What is, is this just something academically, Reese, that you, you think we should know? Because probably in this room, there aren't many of us who are saying, you know what, I really think we should bring circumcision in. Most of us in this room would be Gentiles. Um, most of us, in that sense, uh, if Judaizers came into the room, would, they would be saying to us, hey, you need to get circumcised. Hey, you need to uh, obey the law of Moses. That's probably not what we're thinking about when, we, when we're thinking about law. We're not thinking about the Jewish law. But it's interesting that I think the heart, the sinful heart, naturally looks to external structures to shape us. And so we don't necessarily need to be having, we can, we can talk about law and we can kind of miss the point for ourselves that actually what we can tend to do is begin to put all kinds of laws around our own lives in order to get us to God. So, so, so even just, I mean, even really good things. You know, we can make laws out of anything. You should read your Bible every day. 
You should read your Bible every day. You must read your Bible every day. You start to create a law. I missed my Bible reading one day, and I, I feel a bit guilty. Oh, God, I'm so sorry. I, I, didn't, I didn't do very well. well. What are we beginning to do? We're beginning to create external structures for ourselves. I, I, we sh- what about fasting once a week? What, it sounds like such a great idea. Let's fast once a week. Let's give ourselves to fasting. Or, or hey, you should be part of a life group. Or, hey, you should be in church every Sunday morning. Every one of these things is a really, really good thing. And when it comes out of a desire for God, when it comes out of a, I begin to discipline myself because I know I'm encountering Jesus in this, then it's really good for us. But the moment my life simply becomes doing these things, I'm actually trying to, to live out my sanctification, my growing in Jesus Christ by a set of external rules. And it ultimately leaves us in bondage, not in freedom. It's super subtle. It's super subtle. Paul Miller uses this great illustration where he talks about uh, prayer. He's written a brilliant book on prayer. And he uses this little illustration where he says, prayer is like the windshield of your car. Okay? When you're driving your car, do you look at the windshield? No, you don't. You look through the windshield. The the windshield serves a purpose. You look through the windshield at the beautiful mountains. Or you look through the... uh, Actually, you look through the windshield at the road that you're on. Okay? (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you look through the windshield at the road. If, you, if you're so caught up with the windshield, isn't this such a beautiful windshield that I have? I have an amazing windshield. I love my windshield. You're probably going to end up in an accident. The point of, an, of a windshield isn't in and of itself. It's to enable us to get to our destination. Prayer, it's like, I don't pray enough. I feel so guilty that I don't pray enough. Whenever we talk on prayer, often you see heads go down. I don't pray enough. Oh, I know I should pray more. I should pray more. Why are we thinking that way? I should talk to my wife more. I should. I really should talk to my wife more than I do. (laughs) I see some husbands and wives shaking their heads right now. Maybe some are nodding. All right. why should you talk to your wife more? Like because there's a checkbox? Did I talk to her for 30 minutes or did I talk to her for 50 minutes today? Oh, I had a really good day. I talked to my wife for 50 minutes. No, it was a bad day. I only talked to her for 15 minutes. I'm I'm a failure. I mean, what's the point? The point is I talked to my wife in order to be with her, to engage with her, to enjoy her, to love her, to, to do the things that we do together, to facilitate our relationship. Prayer serves my relationship with Jesus like talking with my wife serves my relationship with her. That's, do, do you understand what I'm saying? I, I was kayaking with a guy yesterday and we began to uh, talk about Jesus and church, and he just made this comment. He said, religion has many good things. You know, I feel like this generation has lost the structure that uh, religion brings to your life. And uh, I was sitting there thinking, oh God, how do I cut through 
this idea of religion and get to Jesus. Not, I, I should have some external structure. Now this shapes, this helps me live a better life. No, no. How do I get to Jesus? He's the point. He's the one who saves me. He's the one who changes me. How do I get to that? Now Galatians 5 verse 1. Just continuing on this, this challenge, Paul writes, and, and, and the Galatians really have gone over to this thinking uh, of adding Judaism into their, into their faith in Jesus. Paul kind of th- thunders out. He says, For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Stand firm in your freedom. Look, I, Paul, say to you that if you accept circumcision, Christ will be of no advantage to you. I testify again to every man who accepts circumcision that he is obligated to keep the whole law. You are severed from Christ, you who would be justified by the law. You have fallen away from grace. So one of the challenges that I think we find in, in even the things that I'm talking about this morning is that I think among the evangelical world, uh, I say that cautiously, when I, what I mean by that is those who really trust the Bible and love Scripture and believe in the sovereignty of God. Uh, it's, that's not a political comment. Among those who would hold Scripture in this way I think most of us would say, we're very clear that you are saved through Jesus Christ and faith in Him alone. But I think a lot, of, a lot of us are unsure. If that's for me, I'll um, just bring it up. Happy to. Um, but for many of us, if you ask the question, so are you now under the law? Do you now need to obey the law? we might be a little unsure of what the right answer is. Because what we're clear that justification, no, it's by faith alone. But for many of us, we actually think sanctification is a little different. Sanctification is by faith in Jesus, plus I add the law back in. Whatever the law is. Now, Just to be 100% clear once again, is it a bad thing to go to life group, to be part of a life group? That's not a trick question. Is reading your Bible something not to be done regularly? (laughs) Let me ask the question in a better way. Is it a good thing to read your Bible every day? Is it a good thing to pray and fast? Okay, so we're not saying these things are bad things. We're saying that the way we do them or the motivation that they come from is what's critical. And what happens is when we begin to do them without really our, our focus being on, I, I just want to serve you, Jesus. I just want to follow you, Jesus. Jesus, you're my life and you're my life. I'm gonna, I want to spend some time praying to get to you. I want to read. Lord, speak to me through my Bible reading this morning because I want to encounter you. I want to I understand you more. I want to uh, help me, help me this morning understand what I'm reading. 
as I begin to do that, I see, I might discipline myself to do those things, but my heart is towards getting to Jesus. It's a subtle difference, but the impact is so massive in its output. If I read the Bible as a checkbox, I will become discouraged. I'll probably stop doing it after a short period of time. And ultimately, I'll just feel like a, a failure. If I read my Bible to get, if I discipline myself out of the unction of the Holy Spirit, I, I discipline myself because I want to get to you, Jesus, every day. I'm seeking after you, more of you. I want more of you in my life. God, I, I just want to understand you through your word. The motivation grows. I miss a day. Who cares? It, the point wasn't reading my Bible. The point was getting to Jesus. I'm keeping going. I'm keeping going after him. So it's so important that we understand that God wants to bring us into fellowship with Jesus and not into living our lives by a sense of rote and rules. Do you, do you, do you get what I'm saying? It is so fundamentally different to what we see of so much that purports to be Christianity today. And this is the way we live in freedom. How do we live in freedom? How do we deal with sin in our lives? You know, whenever Paul preaches the gospel, he preaches in such a way that eventually somebody asks the question, so what you're saying is, we're so free in Jesus, we're so free from the law, that it doesn't matter that we don't, that, uh, uh, if we sin? Are you, is that what you're saying? Are you saying that, that we're so free in Jesus and we don't need to be so concerned about the law that it really doesn't matter if we just continue in sin every day, every day, every day? The way Paul preaches the gospel always leads to that question. And here's his answer from Romans 6 verse 1. What shall we say then? Here he's posing, he's posing the question to himself. Are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound? By no means. How can we who died to sin still live in it? Do you not know that all of us who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. Paul's point is, you're dead to all that stuff. And you're alive in a whole new way to the purposes and the promises of God through Jesus. Your life matters. Your life counts. Don't waste yourself on those things when there is such glory before you. Don't waste yourself in, in, in pursuits that are so entangling and, and that restrict you and that stop you entering into all that God has for you when what He has for you is so glorious and beautiful and purposeful. There's adventure before us. God said, Jesus says, come with me to His followers. He doesn't say, okay, Peter, stay where you are. Here's a new set of rules that you're going to live by uh, Okay, great, you're sorted, off I go. I'll find the next person to put under rules. 
It's not what Jesus does. He says, come with me. Come follow me. I'm going to take you into an adventure of seeing other people set free. I'm going to take you into an adventure of seeing people healed. I'm going to take you into an adventure of seeing nations changed. Your life, you can't even believe what I'm going to do with your life. I'm going to so change you. This guy who's a, a, a fisherman who, who can't really see much beyond his little context in Galilee, his fishing, I'm going to take you and I'm going to make you a fisher of men. And people 2,000 years later will be talking about you, Peter. That's what Jesus wants to do with us. Folks, he wants to catch us up and say, I have so much for you in my life. In my resurrection life, I want to catch you up. I want to give you purpose and meaning. So kill those things that are of your past life. Kill the things of the monster. Kill the stuff. And step in by faith. Now, you see, faith is a very active thing. When I engage with Jesus by faith, it continually, uh, how do I put it well? By faith, I set my sights on you. By faith, I want to step into the things that you promised me. So just like even this morning, by faith, Jarrett gets up and brings something. What's he doing? He's stepping into his freedom. Stepping in. Hey, God's given each of us freedom to bring stuff. God's given each of us freedom to live a new way. Not to live the old way. The freedom isn't unto death. The freedom isn't to go back to the old master. No, the freedom is to live into this new, this new life that God has for us. What would your life look like? What would you look like? What would your future look like if you lived fully into all that God has for you? That's what he wants. That's what he wants for each and every single one of us. He wants us to step into freedom. Now, it may be that you're here this morning and you say, well, I, I've, never, I've never put my trust in Jesus. I've never submitted my life to Jesus. You know what? Jesus wants to invite you to encounter him and to come into this same freedom. Jesus wants to bring your life into this. What happens in our lives is that as we come to Jesus, as we, look, as we look at Him, this is what I read at the beginning from Corinthians, I'm beholding you. Beholding, it's a beautiful word. I'm, I'm looking, I'm taking it in. I'm, I'm just delighting in you. you. Like just what we did this morning, what John led us into this morning. Excuse me. <coughs> I'm going to sneeze. I did sneeze. John led us into delight. That's God's way of motivating us. God's way of motivating us isn't you have to, you must, you should. It's come. <laughs> I have so much for you. You sure you want that? Look what I have for you. Look what I have for you, child. See, literally, I mean, in Romans, he goes on to talk about how, in, in, in verse 15, he says, what then? Are we to sin because we're not under law, 
but under grace. So he's, he's asking that same question in a different way. So should we just continue in sin now because we're under grace? Hey, grace means I, I don't need to worry about the law. I'm not under the law anymore. I'm under grace. That's what he's saying. So now should I just continue sinning? By no means. Do you not know that if you present yourselves to anyone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one whom you obey? either of sin, which leads to death, or of obedience, which leads to righteousness. But thanks be to God that you who were once slaves of sin have become obedient from the heart to the standard or the form of of teaching to which you were committed. God has committed you to a new standard of teaching and having been set free from sin have become slaves of righteousness. From the heart... You've been set free to a new standard of teaching. It's an interesting phrase. It's a phrase that he only uses here in Romans. What's he saying? He's speaking here probably to a Jewish audience for a moment. He's saying, you were committed. You were in the realm of the law of Moses, but you have now been committed to a new standard of teaching, the gospel in Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. That's the context of what he's talking about. How did it happen you became obedient from your heart? It was a heart thing. And Jesus is always looking for our hearts. Jesus wants our hearts. So often the the accusation is made. There's a a theological word for it, antinomianism. What you're preaching, Reese, right now is we should discard the law. We should not worry about the law. We should just uh, put it to the side and and, and just live however we want to. Isn't that so dangerous? Well, I'm not suggesting we should abandon the law and live how we want to. I'm suggesting we should step away from the law, abandon the law. We're not under the law and step into grace. Grace teaches us to say no to unrighteousness, Paul says to Timothy. Hey, I now have power by the Holy Spirit to say no to unrighteousness. I don't need to live that way any longer. Jesus is calling me into more, in up to more. So why does he put these three requirements on them? At the end, you'll see that uh, when James is writing to the church in, in Antioch, he said, uh, just these requirements that you abstain from what has been sacrificed to idols and from blood and from what has been strangled and from sexual immorality. So, just asking the question, what, uh, uh, James, are you, are you now saying, okay, that old law is gone, here's your new law. Is that what he's doing? No, he's not. What's he doing here? He's writing to the Gentiles in Antioch, and he's saying, listen, you are in a new community, a community of freedom where Jew and Gentile have been brought together into one people. This was always God's purpose, always God's plan. Even in Abraham, in Genesis 12, God said, Through you, I will make you a blessing to every family on earth. Through you, every family on earth will be blessed. How did that happen? Through Jesus. Not, Jewish, not just Jewish families, but Gentile families now are included. Gentiles come in. But now the church is this beautiful, multicolored, multiracial, multiethnic people who reflects something incredible of God, this unity, 
amazing diversity, but all unified in Christ. And he says, you Jews don't lay your law onto the Gentiles. And you Gentiles, there are some things that you need to be aware of not doing because they have massive impact on the community that you're part of. Number one, obviously, food sacrifice to idols, the, the idol feasts. Uh, they, were, they, were, they ate the food, in, and uh, the, the food was brought as a sacrifice to the idols. They ate in the temples in worship to the idols. Paul says, don't have anything to do with that. Don't be participants. And particularly for your Jewish brothers, that is absolute, that's an abomination. Don't do it. And then the second thing is blood and animals that have been strangled. For, for a Jew, that was an abomination. Hey, you're eating from home to home. You're, in, you're entertaining one another. Jews and Gentiles, you're eating in each other's homes. Don't do things that are going to offend. And finally, sexual immorality. Have you ever noticed how sexual immorality damages community? I mean, obviously, the, the people directly involved are very damaged. But actually, it has an impact far broader than just those people. It impacts others around them. Friendships break over it. All kinds of damage is done to a community when there is sexual immorality in that community. And so what Paul is saying is, hey, be aware of these things. Don't have them in your community because they will destroy the beauty of what God is building, Jew and Gentile together. And that's what God's building here among us. We all come from different nationalities. We come from different ethnicities. We, we have different colors. We, we, and each one of us is made in the image of God. It's beautiful. It's so wonderful. God wants to draw us together in our diversity and bring this amazing unity among us, which is a, a unity of the Holy Spirit. And He wants us to be aware of things that will destroy our unity. Hey, I want you to, in your freedom, in your freedom, don't damage the community. In your freedom, don't damage your brothers and sisters. You're free now. Everything's permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Not everything will be good for you all. I want to draw you into a freedom by which you live and you enjoy. See, the freedom is based in the fact that all of us came in the same way. Whether you're Jew, whether you're Gentile, whether you're black, whether you're white, whether you're Asian, whether you're uh, North American, whether you're woman or man, whether you're rich, whether you're poor, you all came in the same way as a sinner saved by grace. And that bottom line means that we're all equal. And that bottom line means that we all get to enjoy what God has given for all of us together. And so as we come in on that same basis, let's enjoy fellowship with one another. Let's delight in the freedom God has given us. Let's bless one another and serve one another with gladness because we know we're, we're, we're leaning into Jesus. That's what we're doing here. We're not trying to prove a point. We're not trying to, we're not trying to be uh, the best law keeper. We're just going after Jesus together. It's what Jesus has for us. Brothers and sisters, God wants to call each one of us into more. I believe
for each one of us this morning, God has more for you. For some of us, I feel like you've lost, I felt like this when I was preparing this morning, just felt there was a sense of some having kind of lost the perspective of God's call on your life. First of all, to be a worshiper, to be a lover of Jesus. And second of all, what flows from that, the calling that God has placed upon your life. I believe that God wants to call some people back this morning to believe, to believe, not to do something, but to believe Him for what He wants to do in you and through you. So I wonder whether we could just stand together. I think there's such joy in this freedom. There's such possibility in this freedom. Why don't we just take a moment to invite the Holy Spirit? You might just want to reach out your hands to Him. Just say, Holy Spirit, would you come to me? Be active with him. Lord, show me Jesus afresh. Show me my Savior. Oh, my wonderful deliverer, the healer, the friend of sinners, the King of kings, the one who brings me into fellowship with my Father, the one who writes purpose over my life, the one who loved me from before the foundation of the world, the one who, in whom I have such inheritance, the one who, 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 who wrote promises over my life. I'm, I'm going to call you to this. I'm going to impact your world through this. I'm going to do this through you. Father, I pray for each one of us where it's so easy for us to back away from things, to get discouraged, to begin to focus not on Jesus, but on doing day by day. I should, I must. It looks like this. Father, help us to lean into our freedom, to not go back, back to sin, back to half-hearted appetites for you. Draw us, O oh God, into the fullness that you have for us. Lord, we thank you that we have it. <laughs> it's already ours. <laughs> you don't need to do anything more. <laughs> We've already got it all. It's finished. Work is done. It's complete. Now you're working it in us by your Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit, would you just draw us afresh to Jesus? Why don't you just adore him for a moment? Just begin to tell him how much you love him. Actually, the end of this is worship, really. Tell him how much you love him. Tell him how much you appreciate him. Oh, we love you, Lord. Thank you for what you've done. So amazing. So beautiful. You are so beautiful. Look at the way you are for us, Lord. Father, I pray that you'd strengthen us 
in our hearts, not to allow anything to rob us from our freedom. Father, we, we would just stand this morning against any message that presents another way of being righteous. And we would just say, Lord, <laughs> you're our righteousness. You help us. It's by you, it's by your spirit that we can put sin to death. Maybe, maybe as John said this morning, that you find yourself in real temptation at the moment, that there's something that you're really struggling with. You're going back to it again and again and again. Why don't you just say to the Holy Spirit this morning, would you help me to put that to death? Would you give me a, a bigger picture of Jesus? Let me hope in Jesus again. Holy Spirit, just minister right now your grace. Oh, bring us into the fullness of your freedom, Lord. Yeah, give revelation. Give revelation to our hearts. See it, Abadi. Come, Lord. <laughs> Just receive for a moment. Just receive. Receive His love. Oh, thank you, Father. 